You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams. Good afternoon, Bruce. How are you today? Uh, doing well. Getting Has the rain the left news, you? But, uh, Has the rain left you? Um, sort of, kind of. I mean, it, it looks like we got a little bit more rain last night. It's kind of sunny out, a little cloudy still. Looks like it could still rain again, uh, but the humidity is, like, way, way up there now. I don't I mean, envy you on the now. Yeah, I don't envy on the on the humidity, but the rain, Ugh. I could use some of that. I could use some of that. So send that on over. At least it'll knock the temperature down a little bit. Man, it's going to get hot over here on the weekend and it's going to suck. But I actually turned the air conditioner on. But anyway, nonetheless, you planning on doing any traveling anytime soon? Uh, No, actually. Uh, no, why not? If you could travel right now, would you? Right now? No. Why not? I, I still don't think I would do it just because of the hysteria behind COVID-19 and everything. I don't like the mask mandates. I don't like all the, the regulations and stuff that are coming up. So, yeah, I would rather not travel right now, personally. It's a good point. I thought the same thing. I'm like, well, you know, what if I what if I travel right now? What if I have to go back to the U.S. right now? But see, if I go to the U.S. right now, do you know what's going to happen to me? Not only quarantine. Yeah, not only am I going to have to deal with like a two week quarantine, which is complete nonsense anyway, because where I'm at, they don't have any of this nonsense going on like what's in the US. But not only am I going to have to go through a 14 day BS quarantine, when I turn around and have to come back, I'm not going to be allowed back. Mm hmm. Or at the very least, I mean, I have residency, so I mean, that could be kind of a little, it could be a difficult, maybe I could get an exemption from that. But still, I'd have to be, I mean, we're talking a month here, right? I'd be down for a month. So I'd have to go through a 14-day quarantine on the U.S. side. So, I mean, that's irrelevant, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to fly for 24 hours. And then on top of that, you got to wear a mask for 20 hours. And no, no, hell no, Mm -mm. not happening, you know? And it's, of course, what we talked about yesterday with the mask police. How long is it until they start finding people on airlines, for violating airline policy to take a drink of something. It's just right? it's stupid. It's so stupid. All this stuff is just stupid. But we know what the agenda is behind it. It's meant to just henpeck the public, and it's meant to drive people into uh, a, a sense of submission. Now, the question becomes to you, the average person out there, is this how you want to live your life? Because honestly, this is not going to stop. This is not going to stop. If you think that these little uh, these little worms that come out on the TV like Fauci and Gates and the rest of them, if you think that by listening to them, by paying attention to what they're saying, oh, well, if we just do this, then uh, if we do this for a month, then we should be fine. That's not going to end. Understand that. That's not going to end. So the question becomes, is that how you want to live your life? Same thing with this nonsense that's going on right now. Governments are making this whole thing political. The EU isn't letting in American tourists. So if you're a tourist, forget it, Forget if you have residencies in two countries, okay? If you're a tourist, then you're not going to be coming in over here at all, let alone a two-week quarantine. That's not going to happen. The European Union says that they're not going to reopen its doors to Americans by backtracking further on a plan to let in more foreign travelers amid a resurgence of coronavirus cases around the world because the testing has turned into a political game. 
It's what it's turned into. So EU envoys in Brussels on Wednesday recommended removing Algeria from a list of 13 states where residents have been given the green light to visit the bloc. The U.S. will remain off of the list of allowed countries while China stays in. Yes, because where it came from, uh, that's uh, yeah. yeah, that's mm-hmm. that that makes mm-hmm. sense. That that makes a lot of sense because well, China's got everything under control, right? See, it's the U.S. that's right. faltered on this, right? You, you see how the right, agenda's been right. flipped. Right. You see how this has been flipped. Mm-hmm. According to the officials who spoke on the condition of anonymity, because deliberations were confidential. Gee, I wonder why. Mm-hmm. You've heard my stances on the EU commission. You've heard Marty's stances on the EU commission. These are unelected bureaucrats that make arbitrary decisions that are handed down on the population. So even if the people of Europe, even if the good people of Europe wanted to voice an opinion, let's say that they could somehow sway the opinion of their elected representatives that are in the European Parliament, all they can do is make recommendations to the commission who are unelected. Ultimately, they're going to make the decision on whatever works, or excuse me, whatever they think the best course of action is, which <laughs> you want to talk about the best course of action on something, wait till tomorrow, right? Yeah. That's that's got the EU's fingers all over it, man. That's just, yeah, anyway. Yeah, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Uh, and believe me, tomorrow, you do not want to miss tomorrow. Tomorrow is how they're using COVID as a cover for the agenda of societal change. They're looking to fundamentally alter our civilization and they need to hit the reset button on finance capital. And that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. So you don't want to miss tomorrow because we figured out how they're going to do it. So the verdict and non-binding recommendation to EU national governments means their external borders should stay shut to people from most countries for at least two more weeks. It'll be longer than that. The latest recommendation is due to formally be approved on Thursday. So, yeah, they'll approve that tomorrow. But, um, yeah, the blocks updated whitelist. That's racist. We can't be using that. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's how, how politically incorrect of you people. The blocks updated whitelist will now include Australia, Canada. China, Georgia, Japan, Morocco, New Zealand, Rwanda, South Korea. South Korea? Really? South Korea? Didn't they have a big problem over there? No, actually, they, theirs was pretty good. They they did kind of have an uptick, but it wasn't uh-huh. uh, it wasn't nearly what we see here. It, okay. uh, South Korea and Japan both had uh, like of the Asian countries, they were they they did well. Yes, Japan uh, did very well. They they did very well. As a matter of fact, I think Japan and Germany were. Two of the countries that did extremely well, uh, Japan, I, Japan, I think, was probably the best in the world. It's also South Korea. And I think Hong Kong also did well. I'm not sure. But nonetheless, Thailand is also on the list. Tunisia is on the list. And Uruguay. Uruguay, I can understand because a lot of German expats live in Uruguay. The resurgence in virus cases globally is hampering European efforts to emerge from national lockdowns uh, and revive domestic economies during. So, yeah, OK, all right, fine. But anyway, if you're an American, you're looking to travel over uh, to the European Union. Not going to happen anytime soon, at least not until not until November. Right. At least that's that's kind of what we're looking at. Right. Right. Well, which uh, honestly, I think they're going to. January. I think they're going to continue it. I th- yeah, I think they're going to go on yeah. with it. So I, yeah, I think I agree. at the minimum, we're looking at January at the minimum. And the reason we say, well, OK, why are you looking at January? We're going to explain that tomorrow. Added to this, you've got now 11,900 troops that are being pulled out of Germany and 6,400 of them are going to be returning home. So look, I've talked about this before. This is an old strategy that's being played out here in Europe. The United States was left here at the end of the war because we had the divide, right? 
That's where the Cold War started. So you had the war against the Soviet Union. So when you had East and West Germany, you had a lot of troops here, along with British and French troops as well, because the allies, right? We had that side of it. We had the Western side of it. Because if you didn't have the United States staying, I mean, this, this, was, the, this was the quandary we were in. Okay, we had the Marshall Plan, which is what rebuilt Europe. And then, of course, you had a joint occupation of the United States, France, and the United Kingdom of Western Europe because the French couldn't do it. They were bankrupt. You know, they were in bad financial shape. They were in bad economical shape. Society had been decimated because the Germans had taken it over. The uh, The British couldn't do it. They were in, in pretty bad shape after the war. So who did that leave? That was us, the U.S. We had to stay behind and uh, make sure that there was a security force in place because if we would have pulled out then the only thing that would have happened would have been a power vacuum. You would have had the Soviet Union come all the way over to the Atlantic coast. So we couldn't have that. That would have destabilized Europe because it was already a mess. So we couldn't do it. So we had to remain in place. But the Soviet Union fell. At that point, I think we should have come home, but we didn't. We stayed. And we used it as a launch pad for jumping off to the rest of the world, most notably the Middle East. This is an old strategy. Trump has been pulling us out of Middle Eastern conflicts. You notice we haven't had a Middle Eastern conflict, by and large, since Trump's been in. Haven't been in another war in the Middle East. Have you noticed that? Had the little mix up there in Syria. He's been bombing the hell out of ISIS, cleaning up Obama and Hillary's mess, right? So Trump's overall strategy has been to dial down that old strategy and get us out of that and start bringing our people home. Because like it or not, we can't sustain this any longer. Our overseas presence, we can't sustain that for for much longer. We're bankrupt as a nation. We're $27 trillion in the hole and we're still paying for the national defenses of these other countries. I think largely this is another reason. And, you know, we don't have Marty in here, but I think this is also another reason why you've got the the sycophants in the EU that are trying to stand up uh, an army in there. But nonetheless, side issue. But the U.S. is now uh, going to draw down even further. Donald Trump has called for uh, a reduction in the number of troops in Germany. Again, the reduction of approximately 11,900 troops from Germany will, will reduce the number of U.S. troops in the country from 36,000 to around 24,000. The current EUCOM, which is the European Command, European Union Command, uh, EUCOM plan will reposition approximately 11,900 military personnel from Germany from roughly 34,000, 24,000 in a manner that will strengthen NATO. Uh-huh enhance the deterrence of Russia and meet other principles I have set forth, U.S. Defense Secretary Mark Esper said. Of the 11,900, nearly 5,600 service members will be repositioned within NATO countries and approximately 6,400 will return to the United States, though many of these or similar units will begin conducting rational deployments back to Europe. So they're going to spread out. They're, They're going to pull them out of specifically the garrison here in Germany, and they're going to just spread them around, it looks like. But they're also going to do, it looks like they're going to they're going to be doing uh, rotational deployments going on uh, around the continent going forward, which that's not uncommon. You know, they'll, they'll rotate in and out all the time. So that happens. I, I know some guys that'll rotate over from time to time. They'll literally send them over for three or four days, and then they'll rotate them back. Like, I, I'm not quite sure why they do it, but that's what they do. I had a, a friend of mine uh, came over. Get this, Bruce. They sent him over here, right? He works for the army. They sent him over here for four days. He came over here to oversee a logistics operation to move 20,000 pallets of ammunition, and then they sent him home. Hmm. So U.S. government at work, I guess. But anyway, that's yes, right. it's a it's an old plan. It's an old geopolitical strategy, and it's time that it's uh, that it gets mixed up. So we'll see. We'll see. But if that's part of a bigger strategy that's going on and they're going to look at reinforcing NATO's key presence in the area between Russia and continental Europe, then 
I'm not sure what they're doing there, but I mean, we're not going to know that, are we? So nope. uh, that should be interesting. And also they said that they're looking at a possible Poland deployment as well. So we're going to be sending troops over into Poland. Uh, so we'll see. You you made mention there about no Middle Eastern conflicts recently, right? Well, not yet, yeah, not to the level that we're used to seeing under the last two or right. three administrations. Yes, right, right, yeah. So there are, is possibly one brewing currently. So you know the nuclear facility that Iran has, yeah. They had yes. some um, explosions and fires and whatnot there. Yeah, and yeah. they're blaming Israel on it. And so there's definitely something stirring, but it's it, it depends on whether or not Iran's going to retaliate or not. So we may or may not get involved in that, obviously. Uh, well, Iran. Ally. Yeah, but Iran's always been saying that, haven't they? You got the holy yeah. men that will come out and, and the hawks over there will come out and they'll steam up, you know, the, the radicals. And that's what it'll be. Because it has mm-hmm. to make it look like, I mean, whenever they look like they're losing popularity, whenever you have the, the hawks in like Iran, whenever they come out and say, oh, well, you know, they're not doing too well, they'll come out and they'll say it's something about Israel needs to be wiped off the map or something. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden mm-hmm. they're popular again. Like right. that's that's just the game they play. But anyway, yep. uh, but yep. honestly, that's a conflict. If, if you're going to sit there and say that that, that conflict's going to go away. Anytime soon, not going to happen. Not going to happen. No. You're going to you're going to create peace of something that's been uh, of a war that's been going on for uh, four thousand years. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Agreed. All right. Uh, the latest trend among wealthy American travelers buying another country citizenship. Didn't Tom Hanks just do this? Didn't he just buy a yeah. uh, a, a Greek <laughs> uh, citizenship? Yeah. Now yeah. I saw the photo. Did you see the photo? Uh, I did not. You did not. Okay. Well, do you remember how Tom Hanks came out and said that if you don't wear a mask, then you're killing people? And if you, I mean, how hard is it to social Uh distance and all this? You remember the video? Yeah. Well, him, Rita Wilson, the prime minister of Greece and his wife were all in a photo and Hanks and and Wilson were holding up their passports, you know, their, their new Greek passports, no masks, no social distancing. So how, how can you, how can you tell people that, they should do that. And then you don't do it yourself. That, I mean, sorry, but this is what people are doing. Now, I myself don't have a second citizenship. I, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm an American. I'm 100 percent red blooded American, tried and true. That's my home. Even though I don't live there at the moment, that's that's my home, man. That, that's what I believe in. I mean, that's that's where I resonate is uh, is with mm-hmm. America. And you know something? It's amazing how many people I meet. And I've, I've mentioned this before. It's amazing how many people I meet who are fans of America that are Obviously, they're not Americans, but they're they're fans of America. They're fans of what it means to be an American. And that's why when people look at me, they're like, "Uh, you're you're an American? I'm like, well, yeah. And they say, well, you're not like any American that we know of. They know the ones that you see on TV, the ones that don't know which end is up, that kind. You know what I'm talking about? Right, right. They think that Americans are this, um, you know, a population of people that watch fake wrestling and Baywatch, right? <laughs> like that's the stereotype. Right. Yeah, that, that's the stereotype. And so they're like, uh, you're, you're not like any of the Americans that we we learn about. I'm like, yeah, I'm one of the real ones. Not the kind you see on TV. We're rare, but we're out there. But they, um, yeah, they're, they're fans of America. And I say, I always ask them, I say, why are you, why are you a fan of America? What do you mean? And they say, well, it's the land of opportunity. And it means you can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. And you can travel between all the states. You can drive from coast to coast and and you don't have to have papers or, or anything like that, which, of course, now with the European Union, you, you can pretty much do the same thing. But people look at that like we were born into that, right? As Americans, we were born into that. And so we just look at it as normal. Now, think about how it would be 
if you didn't have that? How much would life change? You take the Koreas, for example, right? You've had families there that have been separated for the better part of 60, 70 years now. Imagine if you were separated from your family. They were in another state and there was an embargo on that state. You couldn't travel there. The borders were closed. Imagine that. Imagine that. But we take so many things Mm. for granted as Americans, as being born into that system. We take all that stuff for granted. And largely, I think this is why we're dealing with the issues we're dealing with now, because we don't know what it is to be under a totalitarian threat, because all that's been removed from us. And we've talked about that in the past. We have a blind spot for tyrannical rule, most notably socialism. We have a blind spot for that. But countries over in Europe don't necessarily have that blind spot because you still have the generation that lived under that totalitarian rule, be it under uh, Mussolini, Franco or uh, Hitler, that type of rule. Or if you had the old Eastern Bloc countries that were behind the Iron Curtain under communism, under the Soviet Union and their puppet states, their satellite countries. So we don't have the immunity in America to totalitarian rule. And this is why we're seeing these issues now with all these these wound up lunatics in these colleges. So the latest thing among wealthy Americans is um, is to buy up another country's citizenship. Now, I live in another country. The only thing that separates me from an actual citizen here is a test. That's all I have to do. But, you know, and no disrespect to the uh, to the country that I'm living in, but I'm an American. That's what I am. And I'm not going to give that up. That's what I believe in. That's what I take pride in. That idea of being defiant in the face of tyranny. I mean, you tell me another country that's going to give you that. You, you tell me another country that's going to that's going to turn around and create a system that's going to allow you to enslave a government rather than be dictated by one. It's not there. So why would I want to go out and buy another citizenship from another country that doesn't have that? Why would I do that? You see, I think the people that are the wealthy Americans that are buying these citizenships from these other countries, it's because they don't appreciate where they come from. They don't appreciate what it is to be an American. They have no connection to that traditional meaning of what it means to push back on something. They're quick to jump on and dictate to everyone else about how they should live their lives, but they don't know what it means to actually manage their own lives and to self-govern for themselves against a government. So I think that's why they're doing it. What, what do you think of these people buying up these citizenships? What are your thoughts on it? So the bit about being able to travel freely, yeah, that's that's coming to, to an end pretty rapidly here, or at least temporarily uh, because of COVID. You know, you, you see places like New York, putting um, restrictions on people coming from other states. It's like 30 um, states now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a long list now. It's ridiculous. And you, you, you come there, you have to be, you're, you're mandated to be quarantined for, for two weeks, at least, or barred from coming at all. And the constitutionality of that is, um, yeah, you, you can't do that. Sorry, but they're doing it. And, you know, unfortunately, it, it feels like that willingness of Americans to rebel, uh, you know, fighting a, a tyranny. It feels like it's kind of dwindled over the years. But as far as getting a citizenship from another country, I'm I'm torn on it, right? Uh, so I am very much American in, in the idea and everything. America doesn't feel like the America that I have in my mind, if you will. The America that I believe in and see isn't the same place I'm staying right now. But that said, I don't know that I don't know that I would leave and go somewhere else, you know, get another citizenship. I'm I'm still well, fully American, you, you know. Yeah, I don't think you necessarily have to go and live there. It's just a matter of picking up another passport. So you can travel and you can go in on another passport. And I think that's kind of what they're alluding to on this one. Because if you look, 
right? If you have an American passport, that's pretty much your key to the world. At least it was. No one's going to deny an American passport. Well, now they are, aren't they? Yep. Now they're denying it. Well, you can't get that under control over there. We're going to bar you. You're an American. You can't travel to Europe. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? After everything, and I'm not disrespecting the Europeans, please do not think that, If uh, because I know we have German listeners, and we have French listeners, uh, British, Italian, Spanish, and, and I thank you all very much for that. But I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about your governments, okay? So don't think I'm speaking about you personally, but what I'm about to say. But Americans, we can't travel to Europe after everything that's been done for the last half century, that's going to now get denied? What, because of one guy? Because of a bunch of fools that make public health policy, because of a bunch of ginned up tests, that's what we're going to knock uh, 70 years of, of good standings out with because of that. What about people like me that jump back and forth across the Atlantic that have residences in two countries? What about people like me? How does that work? Am I now exempt from that if I try to go back to one or the other? Because I know I'm not the only one. There's millions of Americans that live as expats here in Germany and other European countries, respectively. We jump back and forth. So I look at this as a as a political agenda. And there, there's no sense in it. There's no sense in it because you've got a bunch of self-centered, egotistical maniacs that are unelected in places like Brussels in the European Commission that are handing down policy like this. You, you're basically turning your back on the only ally you've got. You think you're going to create an ally in what? The Far East? You think those people are going to respect you? You think they share your values more than more than America or Australia or Canada? Oh, they might for a time. Till they buy you out. But I think it's just a bad political game any way you look at it. Uh, and there's there's no need for it. You know, we're turning everything into this political football and it's uh, it's quite disgusting, I have to say. So I agree. Anyway, we got some uh, protest news. Yeah, I keep saying protest. Mm -hmm. We got some riot news, don't we? Protest news. We got some riot news, don't we? Protest. Yeah. So an Antifa kid who threw a bomb at the feds in Portland may have been identified. Now, here's the funny thing about it. Guess who identified him? His own grandmother. And how does she... I'm not, I'm not making this up. How did she identify him? She bought him the vest that he was wearing downtown in Portland during the riots. And what did she do? She put a photo of him up on her social media of him wearing the vest with the caption, I got this for my grandson who's a protester downtown. He uses it every night and says it does the job, she proudly wrote. You know, I talked about having a lost generation or two. What do you do with the generation that's supposed to be knocking some sense into this this dumbass, right? What, what do you do with them? Mm -hmm. She's encouraging this. She's probably, I, if I had to guess, I would say that she's probably some old leftover hippie that was left over from the 60s. If I had to guess, I'd say that's probably what she is. This kind of nonsense right here. This is shameful. This is disgusting. Now, how did he get identified? Well, he's in the videos, several videos, holding up uh, riot, well, makeshift uh, riot shields in his mask, in his vest, and also throwing the bomb. If they can actually get this guy ID'd and they can uh, they can bring charges on him, then good on him because that's where this guy needs to go. He needs to be charged. He needs to be arrested. He needs to be charged, and he needs to be thrown in jail. And I'm not talking. I'm not talking a little sentence of oh, we're going to give him time served or we're going to give him 30 days or something. No, he needs 10 years. That's what he needs for attempting to kill police officers. How about attempted murder on a police officer, on a federal officer? How about that? Yep, I, I have to agree. Hit him with it as much as you can get him on uh, on this one. He was trying to either kill or harm police officers. He's a rioter. He's a he's obviously believes he's in in, in a um, revolution, right? How else do you do you keep civil society? You know, other than uh, addressing these kind of people. So yeah. 
It needs to be absolutely, absolutely disgusting, man. Disgusting. But Portland is not all bad, right? Portland's not all bad, is it? Is Portland bad? Are they having problems? Apparently the governor out there, right? They've reached, they're trying to reach an agreement with federal authorities to begin withdrawing the agents. What kind of agreement can you reach with federal authorities? You're going to sit down and broker a deal with these people? The ones that are out there encouraging the violence? They're encouraging the rioters? You had the mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, you know, the, the sellout, the scumbag. He's down there in the crowd with the rioters. Of course, they beat the hell out of him. What'd they do, like threw water bottles and stuff at him? Yeah, they yeah throwing stuff at him, and he got tear gas. He got tear yeah. gas. Yeah, was- oh yeah, <laughs> I mean that's pathetic. He's mm-hmm. down there in amongst them. He's the Soros tap general to set the policy to allow them to riot, and they're trying to burn down a federal courthouse with people inside of it. How's that not attempted murder? How is that not domestic terrorism? How? And you're going to sit down and you're going to make a deal? The Oregon governor, that, that governor is is a sellout, scumbag, going to sit down and say, well, we're going to reach an agreement to begin withdrawing agents from Portland. Then do your job, governor. Do your job, Mr. Mayor. How about that for an agreement? Let's start there. Withdrawing federal agents. OK, if you withdraw the federal agents, then what are you going to do? You're going to let them burn the courthouse down then because that's what they're going to do. Because you're certainly not going to do it. Oregon Governor Kate Brown tweeted early Wednesday that the federal government had agreed to remove all Customs and Border Protection and ICE officers from downtown Portland starting on Thursday. But speaking later on Wednesday to reporters, the acting Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, said the department's agents would remain there to protect the federal courthouse and other buildings and that they would rely on Oregon State Police to deal with violent protesters outside the fence line in the city streets and parks. They haven't dealt with them up to this point. So what makes you think they're going to deal with them then? I haven't seen a single Portland or Oregon State police officer out there on the other side of the fence in any of this. Have you? Have you, Bruce? Have you seen any of those? I haven't. No, they've been they've been barred from doing that largely. Honestly, if this is coming from, you know, the the top, I can kind of see what they're they're gunning, gunning for here in the sense of let let them deal with their own problem, giving them the opportunity, you know, but at the same time. You were already given 51 days and shown that you couldn't do anything. So it's one of those situations where it's like, you know, I got to plug my nose and say, yeah, the government needs to come in and uh, the, the Fed needs to step in and do something here. They do. And the governor has come out, right? She said she spoke to, to Vice President Pence, right? Said she spoke to him. And she says that she's speaking of, she said this on Twitter. She's speaking of uh, federal officers here. She says they've acted as an occupying force and brought violence starting tomorrow. Mm. All custom. Yeah. Right. All customs and border protection and ICE officers will leave downtown Portland. Let's center the Black Lives Matter movement's demands for racial justice and police accountability. It's time for bold mm. action to reform police practices. Explain to me. Explain to me. Police you're going to take. Let, let's let's just start with this. First of all, they're acting as an occupying force and brought violence. No, they're there to quell the violence of people that are being violent that are trying to commit murder. That's what they're doing. They're trying to put a stop to that. Do you know what's not being shown? And you and I have looked at the interviews of this. Do you know what's not being shown? What's not being shown is the context of what's happening. That's not what people are seeing. What people are seeing is people being snatched up by federal officers, being thrown in a van or being tackled, zip tied, handcuffed and, and ripped out of the, uh, the, uh, the public venue. That's what's happening. That's what people are being shown. What's not being shown is what's happening prior to that, what's leading up to that, what's causing that federal officer to respond like that. They don't just go up and start snatching people up. 
right? Federal officers don't do that. Sorry. Mm -mm. They have to have a reason for that. What are you not seeing? You're not seeing what these domestic terrorists are actually doing, going up to the officers, hitting them with bricks, blinding them with lasers, throwing glass bottles at them, throwing frozen water bottles at them, hitting them with ball bearings the size of golf balls, striking them, and then running off. And then what do you see? You just see the arrest. That's all you see. You just see the the federal officer running after the one scumbag, pinning them to the ground, cuffing them up and throwing them in a van. That's what you see. So it looks to the average person like you're seeing what? Oh, look, the protesters are out there fighting the fascist state. That's what you're getting. That's the message you're getting. You're not getting what's leading up to that. That's the deception that the mainstream media is feeding to people. So, no, they have not brought violence. They are not an occupying force. They're there to protect federal property because you will not protect any property at the local level like you should or at the state level for that matter. So then she says, let's center on the Black Lives Matters movements for demands of racial justice and police accountability. So you're going to put Marxism front and center. Is that what you're going to do? Why don't you just say, let's just let's put the uh, the Communist Party USA's movements for de- uh, movements demands front and center. Why don't you just say that? Because that's what it is. We discourage the Western prescribed nuclear family. How is that beneficial to society? You're going to put that front and center? Abolishing capitalism? You're going to put that front and center? You just slapped every business owner in the Portland area in the face. That's all you did there. And you spit on all the families you have in that, uh, in that community as well. It's time for bold action to reform police practices. What does Portland have to do with one bastard cop in Minneapolis? Nothing. Does anyone even remember George Floyd at this point? George who? What? Um, right. Right. Yeah, that's exactly where we're at at this point. It's no longer about Floyd. It's now about, um, well, they they say police brutality, but that's not about that anymore. Now it's about fighting the um, the, what what, bourgeoisie or whatever, you know, going against the corporations and business and capitalism and families. Just as you were saying, things have completely changed now. It's no longer against that. Their Marxist ideals are are starting to come to the forefront. So no, it's it's a nasty agenda to try to make it look like cops are bad. You know, they're all they're doing is coming in and arresting people at random, you know, and and it's unwarranted and blah, blah. No, no. It's exactly as you said. They they were assaulting cops to begin with. And All you see is the cops retaliation. You don't see the lead up. DHS Secretary Chad Wolf said, I'm glad that Oregon and Portland are now deciding to be a responsible city. Yeah, we'll we'll wait to see. You want to think that that's. Yeah, yeah, you want to think that that's the way they're going to be, right? Yeah, I I hope so. Yes. Um, But uh, maybe maybe the protesters just need to be in front of the mayor's house again, in front of the governor's house. Maybe that'll. Right. Get him to see the light. Yeah. The outlines of the plan include Oregon State Police, along with local police, will begin securing city property and city streets around the courthouse. Senator uh, Ron Wyden, Democrat from Oregon, said on Twitter he would be watching to ensure that the federal officers leave downtown Portland. Right. He's, he's going to be watching. Uh-huh. He's going to be watching. Uh-huh. He says he says from day one, I have pressed the Trump administration to withdraw its occupying army from my hometown. See, it's an occupying army now. I will watchdog today's announcement to ensure that it happens and is not the administration's usual penchant for fiction. Oh, okay. Why? Okay, Mr. Wyden, Senator Wyden, if you're so uh, rah, rah for your hometown, then why are you not out publicly? See, here's what needs to happen. You need to have the Democrats. You need to have you need to have Democrat Party representatives, be it Senate, House, 
state, local, doesn't matter. You need to come out and you need to shout down the violence that's happening in your cities. That's what needs to happen. Because if it comes from someone on the Republican side, oh, they're just crazy people. You know, they don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Jerry Nadler says it's a myth, right? Mm hmm. But what needs to happen is you need to have some turncoats, shall we say, from within your own ranks turn on you. That's what needs to happen here. All you Democrats out there, all you um, you good progressives, all, all you elected officials up there on the Hill that are Democrats in the state houses at the city level, you can't step out and say word one. None of you. None of you can do that. No one can condemn this. I mean, I know a lot of I know a lot of liberals, you know, I'm, I'm talking like the progressive liberal. I know a lot of liberals. They're saying these people are nuts. Yeah, I know classic Democrats. I've known them mm -hmm. for years. I've known them for decades. They're saying, I don't know what this Democrat Party is. This isn't Democrat Party for me. So are all of the Democrats on board with this? All of them? We can't get one anywhere across the country that comes out and condemns any of this. None. That's really sad. That's really sad. Because I tell you what, if you side with that, then you're no longer an American. Forget what your damn papers say, right? You're no longer an American. I don't consider you to be a countryman of mine. Like I said, I talk to people that are non-citizens every day. And you know, they're more fans of America than most of these turncoat congressmen and turncoat senators. What does that tell you? If you're an American listening to that, what does that tell you? That should speak volumes to you. I'm ashamed of those people that don't disavow this. I'm ashamed of them because that makes the rest of us look bad on the world stage because of your inept attitudes, your inaction, your unwillingness to come out and say and do the right thing because of fear of what? The mobs are going to come for you? Well, guess what? They're all going to come for you. They always do. Every time in history, because you people are so damn ignorant, you don't know history. Well, while they're being dialed down in Portland, Trump's going to send federal agents to Cleveland, Detroit and Milwaukee. <laughs> it's just it's like, OK, well, we're going to pull them out of there. Well, you uh, you men and women want to go somewhere else because that's where we're going to send you. What are so he's going to send them to these other cities now? I mean, Milwaukee. Yeah, they probably should send fed agents uh, yes. down there anyway. Yeah. So at least during the weeks of the um, what 15th and 17th, I believe of August, uh, at least during that week. They need to have yes. feds down there. Yes, because With we learned... With tear gas and rubber bullets and all that yes. stuff. Not just... Yeah. Because we learned last night that you've got about 100 police agencies that are pulling out of a security agreement for the Democratic National Convention. And what did we talk about yesterday? The Bernie bros are saying what? Yeah, they're, they're going to burn the place if uh, they don't have Medicare for all. The Department of Justice announced the deployment of dozens of federal officers to three cities to assist local law enforcement as part of the as part of Operation Legend. <laughs> I'm sure Trump probably picked that name himself. The uh, Probably. I guarantee you did. The administration has already sent agents to Kansas City, Missouri and Chicago as part of the program as Democratic leaders express reluctance about the government's intentions amid clashes involving the Department of Homeland Security in Portland, Oregon. For decades, the Department of Justice has achieved significant success when utilizing our anti-violent crime task forces and federal law enforcement agents to enforce federal law and assist American cities that are experiencing upticks in violent crime, Attorney General William Barr said in a statement, which, by the way, did you see his testimony yesterday against Congressman Hank Johnson? You know, the guy that said Guam floats, that guy? <laughs> he didn't yeah, even let him answer capsize. the question. Yeah, didn't even let him answer the question. Not one time. He was trying to, he says, look, I'm trying to answer your question. <laughs> and he just, he wouldn't let him answer. Idiot. Mm. Uh, the Department of Justice assets will supplement local law enforcement efforts as we work together to take the shooters and the chronic violent crime or criminals off of our streets. Look, I've got nothing against that, because like I said, if you don't enforce the law at a local level, 
if you don't enforce the law at the state level, you're advocating for and giving cover to those groups, you're enabling that kind of behavior, that type of lawlessness, that type of anarchy. You're telling the community pretty much to to go to hell. You're not doing anything to protect businesses. You're telling the police to stand down. You're allowing the public to be terrorized. It's a disgusting political game because they're forcing Trump to step in. They're forcing that hand. Then they can turn around and say, with what you're seeing in the media, oh, look, he's being a dictator. He's got an occupying army. He's being a fascist. Do we see Do we see how this is flipped? It's a political game. And they're using the average public as the pawns in it. The politicians that are at the state and the local levels in a lot of these cities, the ones that are allowing this chaos to, to continue. What does that tell you, the average person in those cities and in those locales? What does that tell you, especially those of you that voted for them? What does that tell you about what they think of you, about what they think of your family, about your livelihood, your business? What does that tell you if they're willing to just throw you to the wolves like that? What does that say? Does that make you want to wake up? I mean, it would me. My typical stance, I don't like the government getting involved, right? But... When you're unwilling to protect people's rights, you're unwilling to uphold the law. That means one of two things are going to happen. Either the government's going to rise up, you know, on, on a federal level to address it, or the people will rise up and address it. Which one would you prefer? Is that a real question or is that a rhetorical question? It's kind of it's kind of both because I feel like if the people do it, you may not have. It's difficult to say, really, because the government does it. They're not necessarily going to have an even hand. And if the people do it, they're not necessarily going to have an even hand. So I don't really know. Well, that's the not thing. Likely the people would be more generous than the government. But, you know. Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's just you have to kind of you have to kind of balance it. And when you get yourself into a situation like that, no matter where you are or right, no matter what the situation is, what country it is, when you get yourself in a situation like that as a as a society, it can go either way. So you have to try and manage the uh, the chaos as best you can, right? You have to try to minimize yeah. the damage that's going to be caused because yeah. it's going to happen. So you have to have law and order restored. That's all there is to it. And in this case, we can manage that, right? We can mitigate that damage if the cities and the locales just do their job. That's all they have to do. Yeah. Like, you don't yeah. have to go out of your way or anything uh, and create new things and create new policies or anything like that. Just do your damn job. That's all that needs to be done here. It's that simple. Yeah. And quit quit barring law enforcement from being able to do what they're they're trained to do. You know, in some of these places, they're restricting law enforcement from using tear gas or rubber bullets or, or what have you. And I don't know if you people are aware of this, but those are less than lethal means to disperse crowds, especially when there's an uproar like a riot destroying buildings, businesses, people's livelihoods, federal buildings. You know, that's kind of a tried and true method of doing that. When you remove that, what do they have left to rely on? You're absolutely right. In the meantime, in New York City, right, we talked about the NYPD. De Blasio is cutting a billion dollars from the NYPD budget over the next 12 months, right? Well, actually, it's going to start fiscal year 2021, isn't it? So it's, it's so, going to yeah. start. Yeah, it's going to start at the end of the year. NYPD reports demonstrators, demonstrators, you hear that? Demonstrators, demonstrators uh -huh. damaged 303 Police units, right? Cruiser cars costing one million dollars in repair. I, I love how they say that number. And then there's a picture of a smart car that's an NYPD car that's burned out. Fourteen cars were set ablaze and totaled 
with another seven still being repaired. The remainder of the damaged cars have since been redeployed in New York City streets that continue to be roiled by protesters and riots following the death of Floyd. Of course, they're still tying it to this. A man was caught on video Saturday using a sign as an instrument to break into an NYPD police van's window. A tweet from July 25th shows a sign that reads, Artist for George. (laughs) Really? Artist for George stuck through a police vehicle's windshield. Oh, yes, I see it. Protesters continue to gather in mass in New York City, and a large group of demonstrators overtook a Manhattan freeway on Sunday. Sorry. <laughs> what have we talked about these protesters that take over a, uh, a roadway? I mean, you saw what happened out in Colorado. They're shooting the drivers, or trying to yep. shoot the drivers, rather. You know, they shot the tire out. They put a couple more rounds into the, the Jeep. And then what happened in Austin? Some guy goes out there with an AK, says that he's going to uh, he's going to show those people because he can't show it to the police officers because the police officers will shoot him. You're going to do that in Texas, of all places, <laughs> and you go out there and you get yourself killed. Mm-hmm. An estimated, listen to this, an estimated 300 New York Police Department officers were injured between May 25th and June 8th during an onset of the unrest. And de Blasio does what exactly? Nothing? Shootings were up 130% in the city for the month of June alone, according to the NYPD's own statistics. And of course, what's the answer to that? Well, let's just take a uh, let's just take a billion dollars from them. Right. Let's get let's get rid of a billion dollars in funding. And by the way, uh, let's disband plainclothes anti-crime units. Let's do that, too. Let's just not even have them. I, I swear, you know, the, that that city's not city's not what it was a decade ago. I'm, I'm telling you, it's just it's not what it was. You know, I had somebody tell me once, I had somebody over here tell me once, and said, New York City is my dream city. And the first question I asked was why? So, you know, I got, Bruce, you're not going to, you're not going to believe this. I have somebody tell me today, oh, I, I wish I could go to California right now. Best state in the country you got over there. What? Um, Couldn't believe what I was what hearing. What kind of propaganda? Could what kind of propaganda are they hearing. getting into? All they see are beaches and surfing. That's all they see. That's it. Oh, okay. Sticking with New York, video appears to show a woman uh, damaging five cameras at contra- uh, after controversial NYPD arrest. Uh, here's what's going on, right? People are being snatched up and thrown in, uh, being thrown in vans and hauled out. Protester gets snatched up and thrown in a van. This is after they. Uh, this is after she destroyed cameras five times, mind you, not just once. NYPD Chief of De- uh, Detectives Rodney Harrison shared the video on Wednesday, showing a person who appears to be the woman identified by several social media accounts and reports as an 18-year-old transgender woman named Nikki Stone, allegedly damaging police cameras and using spray paint and a broom, among other items. The NYPD welcomes peaceful protests. However, damage to NYPD technology that helps keep the city safe will never be tolerated. These cameras are vital resources which help prevent and solve crimes throughout the city. Did you see the video, Bruce? Did you watch it? I see the video of them arresting the person. Yeah. Well, she gets thrown into the she gets thrown into the uh, into the van there. And you can see clearly that uh, that protesters approach the officers. Now, if you've got protesters walking up on the officers like that, I'm sorry. You don't know what's going to happen. And they're they're being assaulted with rocks. They're having bottles thrown at them. In the, in the midst of all this while they're trying to arrest her. But what happened? She gets taken down. She gets released on charges of criminal mischief and making graffiti and alleged damage. That's what she gets charged with. Mm, alleged. Okay. But see, these were all done. These were all done by the uh, the unmarked and, and plainclothes anti-crime units. See, they're all going to be disbanded anyway. But during the press conference on Wednesday, Bill de Blasio, the most shameful mayor in the, the city's history, as far as I'm concerned, in my lifetime anyway, uh, was asked why it was specifically desirable for the NYPD to make an arrest at the time and place that it was executed. He said it was not specifically desirable to do so. 
It was not desirable to make an arrest for somebody that was damaging city property. I think it was the wrong time and the wrong place to effectuate the arrest. No one is allowed to damage police property. That is a real offense. That is an offense that can lead to an arrest. And my message to everyone, if you're out there protesting, protest peacefully. Okay, so if it was the wrong time and the wrong place to effectuate the arrest, when would it be a good time and a good place? No one is allowed to damage police property. Well, you say it yourself. Clearly, she damaged police property. So clearly, she should be arrested. If you're out there protesting, protest peacefully. Have you seen any of these idiots out there protesting peacefully? I know there are probably some out there. I shouldn't say that. But a majority of them, a goodly percentage of them, are they out there protesting peacefully? I would argue no. When you're out there throwing bricks, you're out there throwing rocks, you're throwing bottles at police officers, that is not a peaceful protest. When you're out there burning police cars, you set 303 police cars on fire. That is not a peaceful protest. You throw a placard through the windshield of a police cruiser, that is not a peaceful protest. So when is a good time to restore law and order? If you're damaging police property, as you said, Mr. Mayor, then that's a real offense. Well, why can't the police arrest them then? Why can't the police do their jobs then? Why are you preventing police from doing their jobs? Why are you vilifying your own department? Why are you taking a billion dollars from them? As a matter of fact, if I were the mayor, I would be scrounging up as much as I could in the city and the state budget to get another billion or two to them, not take it away from them. I've worked with the NYPD. They're great men and women, some of the finest. And what's being done to them is it's shameful. It's disgusting. I give them my full support because I know that uh, I know it's not an easy job right at the moment. Like I said, it's not um, it's not the city it was 10 years ago. When is the right time to for justice? De Blasio is another one of those that I'm just he's up there with Cuomo. Yeah, you, you mentioned earlier that what where was uh, de Blasio and all this? You know, what was he doing? Uh-huh. Congratulating and, and appraising his daughter for being out there protesting and being arrested for assaulting a, an officer. That's where he was. So, oh, yes, I remember um, that. I remember that. Yeah. So um, his his little um, requests that the protests be peaceful. No, he doesn't want him to be peaceful. He's out there praising them. For, for assaulting officers. Shameful, man. That's disgusting. He's a disgrace. He, he, he is a disgrace. He's a disgrace, not to just the city of New York, the city, county, and the state of New York. He's a disgrace. I mean, that's bad enough in and of itself. He's a disgrace to the country. Yeah. All right. So let's um, let's jump over to Chicago. We're, we're going to round off here on Chicago uh, because there, there's an incident that happened in Chicago. Now, we've been talking about Chicago the last few days here and how things are really getting out of hand over there. Now, there's an issue with the deputy, the deputy chief or former deputy chief, I should say. Yeah, he he was the new deputy police chief and now former. But uh, they're saying it was an apparent suicide that happened at the police facility. That just I, I asked you off off recording if uh, if you were a law enforcement officer going to commit suicide, would you do it at the police department? That just seems no. so. No, no. The other reason I wanted to kind of cover this is Chicago's mayor, Lori Lightfoot, has been very clearly against law enforcement, very clearly for the protests and saying if anyone disagrees with the protests, they're full of um, crap and ignorant, stupid, you know, all these. She's not a good, good person for the for the city. And then to have the new deputy police chief just all of a sudden end up Epstein if you will, kind of seems um, kind of it seems a little suspect, honestly. And I'm, I'm really curious to see what the report is going to be on this. It, it doesn't fit the typical narrative that we would see of law enforcement. I would not see a law enforcement officer doing, you know, 
uh, committing suicide at the department. I, I would see it be like at home or something. We kind of talked off air. If somebody's going to commit suicide, it's probably going to be with a glass of whiskey in hand or a bottle of whiskey in hand and not at, at the department uh, when you have that that brother, the, the brotherhood there. So yeah, I, it doesn't feel right. I know a lot, there is a high uh, suicide rate among officers, but it just, this one doesn't feel right. You were right there about, um, about this, this feeling of, um, you know, it's like a, it's like a brotherhood. I mean, it's there because you work with these men and women. You know, I mean, I've had the, the, the privilege to, uh, to, to work with uh, many different law enforcement agencies. Uh, I've had a lot of opportunities that a lot of people my age haven't. Uh, and I'm very thankful for that. It's, it's taught me a lot. And to work with these people, it is that, it is that sense of, of camaraderie. It is that sense. And I hate to use the, you know, the Marxist word there, but it, that's what it is. It, I mean, that's that's the word that they use. And it's it's just there because you have their back no matter what, because you can die out there and you have to be willing to to support them. Right. I mean, that, that's what it is. It's a family atmosphere. It's that feeling of responsibility to one another. And yeah, to do that in a, in a police precinct. No. No, that like everything about that is wrong. Like yeah. I said, I don't know the backstory. I, I'm going to be interested to see the report, but just on the on the face of it, it's just it's not right because, yes, you have a high suicide rate among police officers, as you said, and you do have a lot of people because, I mean, you see some I mean, you see some crazy stuff. I'm not going to lie. You see some crazy stuff. You know, you see a lot of trauma. You see a lot of you see a lot of sad situations. You deal with a lot of situations that are high stress. And so a lot of times and, it, and it's very difficult. And police officers that are out there that are listening know what I'm about to say is true. It's very difficult to maintain a healthy marriage and a healthy relationship when you're a law enforcement officer of any kind, because it's just very difficult. I'll put it that way. And that's why you have a high divorce rate among police officers, because you have a lot that goes on in that job and you try and keep it separate, right? You you separate it because you want to have a home life and you want to be away from that. You don't want to mix the two. And so on top of that, you're working long hours. And quite frankly, you're not getting paid enough. And you add the vilification on top of this day and age. I mean, it's even worse. But yes, the, the high suicide rate, because it's a high stress job, your yeah. adrenaline's going all the time. You know, you're always going into uncertain situations. You're putting your uniform on, you go out and you want to try and go home every night. And you want to make sure everybody mm-hmm. that you're working with goes home that night too, after your shift. And so the last thing you want to do is you want to subject your... Um, well, your family away from your family to that type of an incident. And so that's why I say it just doesn't smell right. Now, I'm not saying that it's not possible or it's not plausible, but it just seems off, doesn't seem right. So they're saying, uh, talking about that, the the suicide rate among officers is 18.1 officers per 100,000 yeah. um, nationally. Uh, they're saying that- It's a high number. It, it's actually, it is a high number. And they're saying it's actually more likely an officer will take his own life than be killed by a criminal. So, I mean, the statistics are there and everything. They're saying that he, this guy was showing um, uh, Dion Boyd, uh, I believe is his name. He was 57. They're saying that he wasn't showing any signs of, of that, um, of having any of those kind of struggles. That said, uh, I know right before somebody commits suicide, they're also kind of in a good mood, if you will. You know, they, they're kind of, uh, they won't show signs of it. So, I mean, some of the markers are there, but at the same time, it just feels off where he did it. He's a 25-year vet. I mean, he's been in it for a long career. I don't know. It just, 
It doesn't seem right. It's a sad thing to see, uh, but let's keep an eye out for that report, shall we? Because I, I want to see yeah. that. Yeah. For those of you who have not and you would like to, please do give us a follow over on the social media platform of Parlor. We love hearing from you. We love getting your upvotes, your echoes, your likes. Drop us a line. We love to get your feedback, good and bad. If you have any feedback, please don't hesitate to send it over to us. Like I said, good and bad. You can follow me over there. I'm at Anderson 3 You can follow Marty at Marty Foster. Thank you for your time today, Bruce. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.